Well, one of the things which, um, we were talking a little bit about this last week, but one of the, the things which is just you know, true about our society is that we are, by and large, as a society, um, scared of talking about death. You know, no one wants to face it. No one wants to talk about it. And I think that's why the whole um, COVID situation has had such an impact, because it's brought to mind things which people would rather not think and talk about. Um, people just don't like talking about death, do they? And I notice this when I do, when I do funerals um, for, for people. Um, generally, um, people are, they just want to get it over and done with, and they want to get their grieving done, and then they pretend it, almost pretend it never happened, apart from the fact that you know, someone has, has died. They just don't want to face it. They don't want to face the fact of what they, whatever they think about, about death. And this is why I think Ecclesiastes is a really important book for us to be, to be looking at now. Uh, because Ecclesiastes is a book which, in a sense, is all about death, or, or rather... It's all about how death and thinking about death in the right way should help us to, to live our lives. It should teach us, in fact. Death should be our teacher. I read a book um, uh, not too long ago which was based on Ecclesiastes called Living Life Backwards. And I can really recommend it if you want to get into Ecclesiastes. And I've borrowed the, the headings and the passages from that book um, for the purposes of this. Um, so if you want to study in more depth Ecclesiastes, Living Life Backwards is a really good uh, book to get. Um, so let's dive in and let's, uh, let's think about this uh, briefly. Ecclesiastes, it says, uh, it's the words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Uh, who is the teacher? And um, you might think, well, that's, that's easy, isn't it? It's, it's Solomon. And, I mean, I, I think that's, that's probably the, the most likely explanation. But there are a few things which it said in the book which do make it a little bit unclear. You know, I was king. Well, surely Solomon was king right up until he, he died. So why, why is it saying things like that? Um, but either way, it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. I think it probably, probably was Solomon. But at the end of the day, this is wisdom from God that's coming to us, wisdom, uh, wisdom from God, and that's the important thing to, to understand. This is wisdom literature. And he starts out by saying, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Actually, it, it just sounds like the kind of thing someone might say at the moment, doesn't it? You might hear someone saying that at the bus stop, or perhaps not using those exact words, uh, but you know, that just sounds like the kind of thing someone might say at the moment. Uh, the word meaningless here is, this is used more in the book of Ecclesiastes, about 30 times, um, more than it's used in any other book in the Bible. In fact, I think about half of the times this word is used is used in Ecclesiastes. It means uh, something like a breath or a vapour. So, you know, imagine if you're on a winter's day, you just go, um, and you see the, it appear for a moment and then, then disappear. That's, that's the kind of thing that it means. So if you um, look, for example, uh, Psalm 39 uh, has this word in, and it's translated slightly differently there. It says, um, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Everyone is but a breath. That's the same word. Everyone is... And it disappears. 
And that's the, that's the idea behind, uh, behind it. It's, it's saying that um, vanity is the old word for it. You know, that our lives are just like that. And then they disappear. And that's the sense of, of what he's saying in, um, in Ecclesiastes. So he asks this question in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? What's the point of it all? He's basically saying, what do the, what's, the, what's the end result? What do we get from all of the hard work that we put in in life? What's the point of everything? And this, this question is the foundation of everything that he says in, in the next, um, to the end, you know, to, to verse 11. The summary really is just that nothing changes. Now things keep on going on and on and on. He says in, in verses 4 to 7, you know, the natural world continues. The generations come and go. The earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets. The wind blows and north and south and goes round and round. The streams keep flowing into the sea, yet it's never full. So the natural world just carries on and on and on. And it sort of outlasts human life. You know, that whatever we do, our lives are... are here for a moment and then we're gone and the natural world just continues and he says in verse 8 all things are wearisome more than one can say it just wearies you with all of this kind of um, these cycles you know Um, it tires us out just by continuing by being the same and then he says um, verses 9 and 10 nothing genuinely new happens you know, that uh, what's happened will be, will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. That's a very famous verse, isn't it? Nothing new under the sun. And, uh, and he just says, look, although uh, things might seem to change, actually, at the end of the day, nothing really changes. Human beings are just human beings. We're just the same. Whatever happens, we, we are just, just the same. Human beings don't really change. And he, he finishes just saying that no one remembers former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So each generation kind of comes and goes. No one really pays any attention. You think, you know, which of us will remembers the generations that happened you know, five generations ago, ten generations, fifteen? They just came and went, and here we are. And soon will be forgotten by, by future generations. So... Is, is this, starting out, is the writer of Ecclesiastes, is, is Solomon or whoever it is, trying to make us depressed? Is that the point of, of all of this? Just to make us go, oh, what's the point? Now, I don't think that is, I don't think that is the point. I think Ecclesiastes here is actually tapping into something. Tapping into something. You know that song by the Rolling Stones? I can't get no satisfaction. Do you remember that, that song? And I think that is true of a lot of people, actually, that whatever we try, whatever we do in life, we can't get any satisfaction. And at the end of the day, um, we're just going to die anyway, and then what? Then what, what will all of, that, all of it be worth? And the point is that we are looking... For something that can't be fulfilled in the things of this world. We human beings are looking for something that can't be ultimately fulfilled through the things of this world. 
You know that expression, death makes fools of us all. And you think about someone like Bill Gates or is he the richest person in the world? I'm not sure who it is at the moment, but someone who's got you know, piles of money. And you think about the poorest person in the world and you think, what's the difference between them at the end of the day? They're just going to die and be forgotten. You know, that's, that's the, the end of both of them that we know for sure. And um, that's exactly what it says actually in the, in the Psalms. Now, Psalm 49 verse 12, for example, um, is a, I read this fairly recently, which says, um, Psalm 46, flip over the page, people despite their wealth do not endure. They're like the beasts that perish. That's, that's our fate, isn't it? But this is what Ecclesiastes is saying, that we need a perspective change. We need a perspective change. Because with God in the picture, things are a bit different. You see, if we're always looking for satisfaction in the things of this life, if we're always looking for satisfaction in, in the, the here and now, in you know, our work, in our uh, possessions, in our families, all of those things, then we'll never be satisfied. And we'll keep looking for new things, for, for novelty, for the next thing to satisfy us. This is actually, um, I uh, found a quote from C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've read this book. It's worth reading, C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's one of his most sort of playful um, books. Um, but let me read you a little bit about, um, just to put it into context, if you don't, if you haven't read it, this is imagine, uh, what he imagines a demon writing to a, a sort of a sub-demon to try and you know, get his, um, his person away from God, you know, to try and keep him on, on the wrong paths. This is what he says. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart, an endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live in time and experience reality successively. To experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, that's God, by the way, from the perspective of, the, of this book, being a hedonist at heart, has made change pleasurable to them, just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating an end in itself, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made by that union of change and permanence which we call rhythm. He gives them the seasons, each season different, yet every year the same, so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the recurrence of an immemorial theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year. They change from a fast to a feast, but it is the same feast as before. And he goes on to say um, uh, that we need to be uh, the change and the, the change in the rhythm that God gives. You know, we are to be to be pleased and get pleasure from that, but not see that as an end in itself. And you see this in, in the world, unfortunately, that people are constantly seeking after change and the new rather than just being satisfied with what with what God gives. So I'd just like to suggest a couple of lessons as we finish. Um, the first thing is to give thanks to God 
in everything. To give thanks to God in everything. Because God is the one who gives us the gifts, every good gift, day by day. Whether that be you know, the sun rising, the seasons changing, um, another meal. Now that's why a, a Christians often say, say grace before meals. It's just to remind us that we give thanks to God in everything. And that's one way of, of taking a stand against always wanting the, you know, the, the new thing, against novelty. But the second thing that we need to do is we need to seek him for the deeper meaning. Because all of these things, they don't have any meaning without God. You know that without God, none of this really has, has any meaning. And this is what Ecclesiastes is saying. But actually, when we seek him, then he is the one who is able to give our daily lives meaning. And all of the things that we do day by day, all of the work that we do, all of those things, it has meaning with him. And that's what we need to look for. And I hope that as we go through Ecclesiastes, that's something that we'll, that we'll pick out a bit more. So um, I appreciate that this has been... Um, a brief sort of look at uh, the beginning of Ecclesiastes, but I hope that these are things which we'll all look at as we, over the coming weeks, uh, coming up to Christmas, um, obviously um, government permitting um, that we're allowed to meet, that we will be, we will be thinking about.